Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers, and welcome to the genocide episode. (laughs) I literally have um, a Baby Yoda kill count on my notes. Oh, Oh, God. Oh my god. I didn't even think of that. I'm, well, because I'm excited. The reason why I did it was because our Dane Ferret count didn't change this episode. So that's why Correct. I so I didn't bother with that. I, I had it up the whole time and I was watching and I was like, okay, let's see if he's gonna say it, let's see if he's gonna say it, which I felt like there were a lot of opportunities for him to say it, but he didn't. Um but then I came up with this new uh count, which is a baby Yoda murder count. So, there we go. The Baby Yoda murder count. We're going to turn into Dark Side Divas. Shout out Dark Side Divas. And they're doing their Clone Wars recaps right now. I swear <laughs> yeah. they introduce a new, like, Anakin Skywalker red flag counter. Oh, and yeah. somebody's hand gets cut off counter. My, my personal favorite, the war crimes counter. That they do. <laughs> I feel like we're going to do that for like murder counters. Yeah. Baby I mean, Yoda kill count. Ezra Bridger kill count. Oh my goodness. So before we get into the genocide episode, yes. uh, we are not a news show. We do Pondatrine, especially during these recaps because they're recorded <laughs> a week and a half ahead of time, which really bit us in the ass last week. <laughs> because we recorded the whole ass fucking episode with Clayton with all the KOTOR references in episode one and then in between the recording and the episode going live they announced the fucking KOTOR remake <laughs> they couldn't have done it like a week earlier or a week later they had to do it right perfectly in the middle right. oh my god so yes, yeah, Sony did announce at some PlayStation event thing. I'm a PC gamer, so I don't really care about most of the details of it. But they did announce that Knights of the Old Republic is getting remade. It is still going to be Legends. It is not a canon story. Um, but they have said that Jennifer Hale is going to be reprising her role as Bastila Shan, who you might know her from Mass Effect. She's the voice of Fem Shep in Mass Effect. Bradley's, from his face, I can tell that he has not played the Mass Effect games. Okay, because when you said Jennifer Hale, I'm thinking, like, isn't that the girl from Pretty Little Liars or something? And then I'm like, oh, that's not even... <laughs> okay, we're, we're clearly operating in two different spheres here. <laughs> uh, Other... Yeah, no, this is clearly not the same person. <laughs> Other information about it is PS5 and PC exclusive at launch, but the way they phrased it made it sound like it's going to come to other consoles, so Switch port maybe? Hey, if that happens, I will gladly buy it. I would gladly play it, and then that way everybody in the world can just shut up about how this good this game is, and I can just be like, okay, I played it too, people. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I will not shut up about how good this game is. It's it's funny, and I bring this up because the way in which I found out about the KOTOR remake was the most hilarious on-brand thing for me. So I was at work. I was at work, and I had put my phone aside for a little bit because I was 
doing some training. I was teaching someone something that was very involved and required us to completely focus because if she had messed anything up on it, it would have been a catastrophe. I was hyper-focused on that for about 25 minutes, and then I came back to my phone, and the first thing I see is a message from Bradley that's just a photo of a TIE fighter desk, which was, how much was it, Bradley? Like 300-something. 300-something, 370-something dollars. Right. And I responded, oh, I need this immediately. And he goes, oh, I thought that you would have uh, wanted to save that money for that remake of that stupid game you're always going on about. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What are, what are you talking about? Tabbed over to Twitter and right there in the 25 minutes I'd been away from my phone, they announced the KOTOR remake. So <laughs> of all the people, it wasn't Clayton. It wasn't any of the people I know who are fans of Bioware or KOTOR in general. It wasn't right. even Twitter. Of all the people to let me know that the KOTOR remake was coming, it's Bradley, I don't know what a video game is, Brower, (laughs) who actually told me this. I find it hilarious because I was just on uh, TikTok and I saw some random nerd reacting and they were like crying or whatever. And then like the trailer was playing and I was like, this is a dumb nerd thing. And then I, I was like, let me check on Twitter and see if this is real because I feel like you would be all over this. And so I went on Twitter. I didn't really see anything. All I saw was PlayStation uh, conference, whatever was trending. Not, it, not particularly the games, right? Because I guess they were in the middle of the big like video announcement or whatever that was going on. So it, right. hadn't, like, it hadn't like caught up yet. And not even a second after I do that, I type in like, KOTOR whatever on YouTube and then of course IGN posted the trailer and I was like oh it's real and so then I sent it to you and I was like I guess it's real but it's not trending on Twitter and then I go to Twitter and then it's just trending on Twitter literally like 10 seconds after I'd done all that so yeah it's the fact that it was you that told me is is just the most perfect thing yeah because we know tons of people who are excited for it I was the one that told Clayton about it so but of all the people, Bradley, <laughs> I don't know what a Revan is, yeah, was the dumb. one that told me, which is Not amazing. Good. I'm very excited for it personally, and I'm, I'm hoping they port it to Switch so Bradley can actually play it. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. That would uh, be nice. It is relevant to us as it is the first confirmed LGBT character in Star Wars appeared in the original game which was kind of neat yeah it was uh there's a party member who if you're male you're just like friends with her but if you're female she like confesses her attraction to you now you're not allowed to reciprocate it that's the thing you're not allowed to reciprocate it in the original game well, this is a quote unquote. But this is a remake, remake so. so you never know. They might change a few things. Uh they are they have said I think they are gonna change some things. Like it's it's not like they're just like painting over the original game with fresh graphics. So right. it remains to be seen how much of the content that was cut from the original game or not allowed to be in there is gonna be in this one. 
So real quick, I don't want to go too long on this, but what if when they say remake, they mean remade so that it fits within the canon? I have also heard potentially, like I'm going back now and looking at some of the stuff that was said about it. It it seems like maybe they were thinking about that, but it seems like Lucasfilm overall is hesitant to go too far back. They want to leave that because they ended up with this problem in Legends where you had KOTOR that kind of dropped and it was 4,000 years before the events of the trilogy. And then everything that happened between those had to technologically and stylistically fit between the two. So they're wanting to be able to have more variety between their different eras right now. So I, I feel like they may have just decided mm, we're going to we're going to just stick it to legends. We're going to gotcha. say it's non-canon. Sorry. They are doing they are doing more like with visions where they're saying this is non-canon so we have more freedom to do whatever we want. Right. Doesn't matter. There's no rules. Like it's like okay, let's just do it. Right. And I mean, canon is a ridiculous concept anyway, and yeah. I personally blame uh, the Council of Nicaea for ruining Star Wars. Uh, but we don't have time to go into that right gotcha. now. Yeah, we can't talk about the sacred timeline anymore. We got to keep going. <laughs> uh, I've watched Loki. So the question is, what sacred timeline? Right. Well, in terms of our sacred timeline, we're going on to season two, episode two of The Mandalorian titled The Passenger. That was a terrible segue, but I'll allow it. It's the best I can do. This week, the Mandalorian agrees to take a frog lady and her eggs to her husband on some moon in exchange for information on other Mandalorians. On the way, the group deals with cops, ice spiders, and the murder of unborn children. Name one thing about this episode and one thing you did not, Charles. Okay, we're just gonna let that... We're just gonna let that stay where it is in the past and not address that. (laughs) One thing I really liked I did like the production design on this. I thought the Mm -hmm. ice caves were cool. I thought the spiders were very impressive uh, in that I fucking hated them. Right. Uh, And I was very impressed. I'll I'll note some specific details uh, in the puppetry and the visual effects and things throughout this episode that were really cool. Uh, One thing I dislike... It's hard to dislike this episode because this was such like a potato chip episode where you go into it not really expecting a lot and not really a lot happens of consequence and that's yeah fine you know not every not every episode has to be you know the heiress or the tragedy or one of these like big major episodes or something happens you know some of them can be bite-sized but I feel like if I was going to level one criticism at it, I would feel like maybe Mando should have learned a lesson by the end of it, which it doesn't feel like he really does. Mm. It feels like they're setting up like an, oh, he's going to help the frog lady, but then he just kind of does it. And it's not like a moment. It's just the same thing he always does where he's like, I'm not going to help you. Please help me. Okay. Fucking fine. Fine. That's, that's his character. Yeah, I agree. What about you? One thing you liked, one thing you disliked. 
Um, let's see. One thing I liked, obviously, Return of Pelimoto. I think, honestly, I feel like she should just be in every episode. I love Amy Sedaris. I think she is a bright spot in the Mandalorian universe. Um, everything she says and does in this show is fucking hilarious, and I can't stand it. Um, so I love her. Um, one thing I didn't like, like you said, it's kind of hard to say what I didn't like. I, I don't think there was anything in this episode that I was so much against that I was like, ugh, this is just, like, this, this ruins Star Wars for me, you know? But, I mean, I think maybe, because I, when I was doing my notes, I noticed that we didn't get to the action until the literal halfway point of the episode. Mm-hmm. So maybe... Other than that scene at the beginning. Right. So I'm thinking like maybe, I don't count teasers though as the action of the episode because it's just a teaser. So, I mean, after that point though, like we didn't get to the halfway point until anything exciting super happened. So I'm going to say maybe it just, it felt like it didn't ramp up fast enough for me. Maybe it just needed a little bit more, maybe a little less time on, you know, Tatooine, a little more time either in space with the cops or more time with the spiders. I don't know, something. Yeah, and and it transitions nicely into that first scene. And I will say, you know, thinking about it, I don't know how necessary that first sequence really was. Like, you could have honestly started with him just walking into town mm-hmm. and had more time on the ship. But right. Bradley, you want to talk us into that scene so we can talk about it? Exactly. Our episode begins on Tatooine with Mando returning home with Boba Fett's armor. Before he does, he is ambushed by child nappers. I mean, it's a very Western scene. I, right. you know, with the tripwire coming up and knocking the thing down. But it felt like it. It really could have been excites. Like it felt like it was just there for the joke of him walking into town with the armor. Yeah, I almost feel like really, really the only true joke though was him getting the the jetpack to the alien and then the alien flying off and then falling. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't very that was like, immensely funny. It was funny, but at the same time, you're right. This whole entire teaser could have been cut from the episode and it would not have changed a single thing about the episode. I mean, like you could it, actually, I'm sorry, you could actually take the first part where he's riding on the bike. You could literally have him park the bike instead of this whole sequence and then just put all the stuff on his shoulders and then walk into the bar like that would be the whole scene or the bike runs out of gas or right. something yeah like something the bike runs that. out of gas in the middle of the desert right i don't know i i feel like you could have sacrificed part of this scene in order to spend more time later on mm-hmm. uh I also question, so the it's not stated directly in the episode, but it is mentioned in the subtitles that these guys are bounty hunters. Oh, really? Oh, Which, I did not guess Yeah, that. it feels like that's part of it, is that bounty hunters are hunting the child. Uh, and we're supposed to ask, who is hunting the child? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously it's Moff Gideon. But right. like, because it's never stated in the scene. Yeah. It's almost an afterthought. That. It's my last note for the scene. Yeah, the only thing I had was alien with spikes is a Nikto. Like, that was all I had on the scene, and that was Yeah, it. <laughs> the alien with spikes is a Nikto, and then additionally, one of the other aliens is the same type of alien. I forget the name of it, and I didn't write it down. 
Uh, but it's a, it's the same type of alien that is rude to Ray in Force Awakens. Oh, is it the one that rides that weird giant puppet thing that they have? In... I think so. His name Either... is something. He has a name. Tito? Right? Tito? Tito? Did we just it, say that same time? <laughs> it might be. This is I think the it thing. is, right? This is the thing Charles didn't research. I couldn't find anything on the alien, so I didn't know if it was even remotely the same. But that's funny that yeah, you said it, that it's the same. Even I'm looking at literally looking looking at Wikipedia right now because I'm a good producer who does his research before he starts recording the episode and <laughs> definitely does not check double check these things in the process. Right. It only identifies it as an, an alien. Okay. So well, yeah. I, another source did mention it was the same one as the one that was uh, harassing Ray. Okay, well, in my head, canon, it's the same. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I believe the Tito on Jakku, they're all like, I mean, they're different aliens, but they all refer to themselves as the Tito. It's some weird thing. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway, that's not the only sequel trilogy reference in this episode. Ooh, okay. Well, let's put There's that in There's another that much more subtle one that we will get to that I thought was the coolest thing. Nice. The only other note I had was asking when he sets the jetpack down and it perfectly stands up in the sand. That How exactly? Odd. So, Bradley, you've seen Fellowship of the Ring, I assume, at, yes. at some point in your life. So you know the scene where uh, Bilbo kind of drops the ring and it falls with kind of a heavy thunk onto right. the ground. The implication being that it's, it's super heavy because it doesn't bounce. I would always try to replicate that with the little miniature one rings that I had as a kid. Okay. But because they were made of like metal and plastic, uh, because I had multiple ones. Right. They would always bounce and I would always get super frustrated. I feel like it's the same. It's the same vibe as the fucking putting the jet back and having it perfectly stand up in the sand. Like you could try to recreate that, but I don't think it would be possible. I, mean, I can't only... even stand up accurately vertically on the beach. My only explanation for that is maybe just the jetpack has to be perfectly balanced for it to work properly. Like, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just got to make up something for that. Cause I don't really, that didn't make any sense. I don't know. I, I kind of want to see, I wonder if, if there's like a Mando cosplayer out there that can try this. And determine whether or not you can actually right. stand it perfectly upright in the sand. Either way, moving on to the next scene. <laughs> next up, Mando has to make the long walk back to town where he stumbles into the Moss Isley Cantina. Inside, he meets up with Pelimoto and Dr. Mandible playing Sabak. I think now is a good time to talk about who directed this episode. I have that in my notes. I wasn't going to talk about it in this scene, but I, you know, what's funny is the joke because of Dr. Mandible is in this episode. The joke is there. So we have to talk about it. We have, we have to acknowledge the joke of who directed this episode okay. and having it prominently featured Dr. Mandible. So Bradley, you're the directing and writing guy. Who was the director of this episode? Uh, directed by Peyton Reed. And what is Peyton Reed currently most famous for? Bring it on. The cheerleading movie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, that is actually one of his movies, though, which is hilarious. Um, 
because he has the weirdest roster of movies. Like it's literally bring it on. Yes, man with Jim Carrey. And then bringing us to the joke here, all the Ant-Man movies from Marvel. So (laughs) it's a weird eclectic group of movies that he's directed. I don't know if it was intentional on their part, because I think we see, don't we see Dr. Mandible in, in season one? That's a good question. Cause we've been in the cantina before. We've been in the cantina before and we saw frog lady. Right. And then, so in the background, you're right. I do think we see Dr. Mandible in the background earlier in season one, but he's just a, Let's you know, background alien. Oh God. Uh, he did appear in the gunslinger episode. Okay. So my, my theory is that this director, they knew he was Ant-Man or he at least saw that that thing was in the background. He was like, I want to use that as a set piece for this scene basically. And they were like, okay, sure. Have the giant. I personally love Dr. Mandible. Dr. Mandible has like this legends vibe to him from back when pre clone wars uh, which I mean, Clone Wars, the multimedia project, not Clone Wars, the animated show. But Clone Wars, when they really actually started to give a shit about the idea of canon. Pre that, when you could just throw anything you wanted at the wall and it was ridiculous, but it was in there. He harkens back to that and I love it. I love Dr. Andable so much. I kind of want to see him more. I don't know why, or at least more of his species. Because I mean, I know he's just a giant ant, but like, it's like, it's still funny. Um, because it just makes Star Wars more fun when you have dumb creatures like this that are just playing cards with people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's just makes it more fun. That's, yeah. And that's, that's the nice thing about Star Wars is that it doesn't take itself so seriously. You can have shit like, it's a giant ant called Dr. Mandible. Right. Why? Who gives a fuck? Who oh, crap. What kind of doctor is he? We don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I imagine probably, uh, oh, that's a good question. Probably that's a, a good, psychiatrist. That's what I was thinking. I Dr. Mandible's a psychiatrist. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. He's a, I was like, I don't know if he's performing surgery anytime soon, so who knows? But. Yeah. Well, now I'm just imagining you go into like your therapist's office and it's this right. giant ant sitting there with a clipboard and like half moon spectacles like, tell me about your uh, brood mother. Right. Well, you know, what's funny is you bring this brings up a good question. So if he's sitting there, you know, as a psychiatrist talking to people, Pelimoto in this episode speaks so many different languages. Okay. So she is this walking knowledge of alien language, or she can at least understand it, most of them. And then in other times she can speak it uh, because we see her speak frog later on. But in this one, she's kind of translating for Dr. Mandible, and I'm like, damn, how many languages does she know? Oh, that's a good point. That's she's like the smartest point. person in the universe so far, because like she knows all these languages. Yeah, the whole thing, like, later on, my note, when she, when she speaks Frog Lady successfully, yeah. the note I have here is, is you know that scene in Solo where uh, he, like, speaks Shirawak? Yeah, it's like, he does the roar. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I speak a little Shirawak. Right. I love the idea that there's like a there's like a Star Wars Duolingo. Yes. Out there, there and Moto is just so bored on Tatooine all the time that she just sits there and learns. Yeah. Like Duolingo 
Ant-Man and Duolingo Frog Lady. Right. She knows every no language. Reason. I love just like, oh, why not? I also, uh, later on in the episode, Mando will speak Hatties really badly. Yeah. And so, like, I imagine that she convinced Mando to download the same, like, Star <laughs> Wars Space Duolingo app. Right. But he doesn't have any time to actually do it. Right. He just keeps, he's the guy that just keeps ignoring the owl until the owl is like, space owl is like, oh, I feel like these reminders aren't working. But then he accidentally taps on the Duolingo app and opens it up. So he keeps getting them for another week after okay. that. Like, oh. He, he seems like the kind of guy who would do that. There's a, another little sort of easter egg in in this sequence or rather a creature we've seen before that pops up in this sequence which is the the alien the really shaggy like alien that's Uh, at the bar when mando walks by yeah uh i paused on it and that's the same species as one of the aliens in saw guerrera's partisans in rogue one i thought so he has a name i don't know what the name is uh I, I called it a knockoff Wookiee in my notes. Oh, I just call it Yeti guy. Yeah, Yeti guy. Yeti guy previously <laughs> appeared. One of those species is in Saw Gerrera's Partisans. Uh, one thing I did notice in this scene, um, actually, it's not more of I notice. It's just one thing Pelimoto said is when she was playing Sabak with um, Dr. Mandible, she wins by using something called the Idiot's Array. Um, she says yes. Idiot's Array and she wins. Um, which is just a little callback to uh, Rebels uh, because uh, there's a episode of Rebels where Lando shows up um, and he plays Sabacc with Zeb and he wins by using the Idiot's Array. So it's just like a fun little callback to Rebels and Solo. It's actually a call further back because Idiot's Array being the... Um, being the winning hand in Savak, the best one you can get, I think goes back to like some book from the 1980s. Okay, well, I wasn't was going to go that far. <laughs> I constantly have to one-up you. That's that's the thing. It's very Clearly. impressive that you remembered that, but I mm-hmm. can go back further and more obscure. Oh, God. Because I don't have a social life. Back at Pelly's place, Treadwell cooks some dragon meat, and we meet our passenger, Frog Lady and her eggs. So the pod racer engine that we noticed last episode is the yep. thing cooking the, the meat. I thought that I was me. Yep. Now I have a question. Cause she, now I know that this droid cooking the meat is the same type of robot as Treadwell from the uh, empire movie, but is it the same droid? Because she says she just calls him Treadwell. Hmm. So it was know. weird. I didn't actually do any research on this. I couldn't necessarily find it. I just saw that it was the same type of droid as what all my little notes said online. But then she specifically in the episode says, hey, Treadwell, don't overcook the meat. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same. I'm looking at Wikipedia now. Okay. I don't think it's the same droid. I didn't think the- so, but she. it was weird that she would call him that. The droid has appeared several times. The type of droid has appeared several times in the Clone Wars. Uh, it appeared in Chapter Five, the Gunslinger. Uh, yeah, it looks like 
I don't know if it's the same droid. I don't think it, it is. Probably the same one we saw in Chapter 5, but I don't think gotcha. it's the same one from Empire. Um, another note on the what she says here. She says she likes it medium rare. She's not a Rodian. So I thought about that. And I was like, so does that mean Rodians like it well done or they like it rare? Like, I can't, I don't know what she was. They implying. like it wrong is the point. Okay. I, I, either either <laughs> way is incorrect. It's wrong. Right. It's either wrong way, way is incorrect. My question is how you're going to cook something that size. It's to a be, pretty thick chunk of meat. So yeah, like I'm looking at it going. If you were to cook that not all the way through, then that's not going to get the medium rare. Right. It's going to be very rare. <laughs> it's going to be, you're going to get chunks of it that are well done and chunks right. of it that are rare. You're not going to get the whole thing. You're better off taking slices. Why do I have so many opinions on like the quality of meat? Is it because I'm, is it because I'm gay? Uh, I mean, it's possible. We do tend to like things, you know, in a certain way. And we have our you know, very we have particular, we have our yeah. very particular way of things, and we get uh, violently disagreeing on on which one is better. Right. Uh, I don't know because, yeah, I don't think we're meant to think too hard about this joke. But yeah, that meat because she even picks some of it up and takes a bite out of it, and it's very clearly cooked all the way through. Yeah. What I found interesting was that Pelimoto comes out of this deal ahead. She gets the crate dragon meat. Yeah. She gets the credits, uh, right. and she also gets um, finder's a finder's fee. fee. <laughs> but what she doesn't get, and what she doesn't comment on, is the loss of her bike. You know what? I'm. You know, I just realized. I think she sees Mando coming up with all the stuff, realizes he doesn't have the bike, and tricks him into paying for the bike by putting in his thing his money for the credits earlier in the last scene hmm. because why else would she trick him out of all that money for no reason you know what i mean like she's not because he's that gullible vindictive. i don't know she's not that vindictive so i'm gonna go with she knew somehow she knew or she could tell that he lost her bike so she's like i'm gonna pay myself back <laughs> i'm gonna pay myself back with interest for the bike 100 percent right. Well, I do hope we see her again later on in the series. As much as I don't like when we go to Tatooine, I do I do think it's worth it to see Pelimoto. I, I agree. Um, but she does introduce us to the frog lady, so that's yes, nice. Yes, let's talk about frog lady. Specifically, let's lot. talk about who plays frog lady. Okay, well, there's two things there. Yes. So there's, there's two things. So which one's more important to you to talk about? The person oh, who voices her or the person who... Me does the body work let's start with who does the body work for frog okay. lady gotcha so the body work is done by misty rosas which is also someone we know from season one um because she did the body work for quill in season one it, it looks like I, I checked this on wikipedia it looks like she did the body work for episodes one and two for quill in season one and then i mm -hmm. think seven and eight was somebody else or oh, seven well, was somebody else that's just what it says on her uh imdb so that's just why but yeah she did she did do quill which i think we might have mentioned at the time 
We did. She also did Frog Lady in episode two. So this brings us around. Full circle. Full circle. Full egg. Um, <laughs> but I'll let you uh, tell us who does the voice of Frog Lady, which is random, but hilarious. Yeah, I, I saw this and I went, what? <laughs> okay, so Frog Lady is voiced by uh, the actor who voiced my favorite character in all of Star Wars, Bismarck, but he is a spider and also a cyborg sometimes, Admiral Trench. However, this person is most notable for voicing every single clone ever. Frog Lady <laughs> is voiced by D. Bradley Baker. Nice. Collecting oh. yet another paycheck from Disney. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Good on him. Like, if you're going to do voices, just do as many as you just possibly can. do them for get. Star Wars. Uh, you know what? Fun fact. Also, he recently had a birthday, um, August 31st. So it was uh, his birthday a couple weeks ago. So I know we didn't really, or last week, I'm sorry. Um, Happy belated birthday. Uh, right. So belated Steve birthday. Bradley Baker. Um, but I just, that because I only saw it because I saw this week in Star Wars this week and they were like, oh, it was his birthday last week. And they had a clip of him doing all the voices for Bad Batch. And so like he talks about Hunter and he's doing the Hunter voice and like how he does Hunter. And then he switches to tech and then he starts doing the tech voice. And then he switches to Crosshair and you're like, good God, this guy is an artist. You know what the weirdest voice he did to me was? Hmm. When he fucking switched back to his normal voice. And I was like, he just sounds like a guy. Yes. Just a dude. I want to know how totally he gets in random. the. I want to know how he gets in the mood to do frog lady voice. Like I want to know like what he's doing to <laughs> what do is frog his lady process. Right, exactly. I need to know what. How his do you become the frog lady? I wonder if frog lady has a name. You know what? I thought that too, but I'm assuming because based on the fact, sheer fact that the way that she talks and stuff, we probably wouldn't be able to pronounce her name. That is true. Or at least ba- you can't pronounce her name in basic. You would have to say yeah. it in her language, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know, or it's just, more, or are they just like calling her frog lady. I don't know. Before we go into the next scene, in order to look up uh, one of the people we just talked about, I happen to be on the cast list, uh, or not on the cast list. I happen to be look on the appearances list on Wikipedia, okay. and just kind of clicked over to try to find what species that alien was in the first scene. We don't know the name of the species. It's not a Tito, but it's the same species as a character named Scrapjaw Motito, who is a scavenger who like walks up to Ray and says mean things to her. And then (laughs) their friend laughs and that's their appearance in The Force Awakens. So there you go. I found the answer to that question from earlier in our episode. Perfect. There we go. All our bases are covered. Let's talk about genocide. Bradley, do you want to take us into the next scene? <laughs> As Mando escorts the frog lady from Tatooine, the child gets a bit peckish. <laughs> I cut this scene short because I split the scene into two scenes. Um, so once the cops show up, we'll do that in the next scene. But for this particular scene, before they go to sleep, um, I, I had to keep it separate because this is very like, this was the scene that broke the internet. 
Yes, um, this was very controversial that uh, <laughs> Baby Yoda, because they set up like, oh, it's the last of her life cycle, which people interpreted to be, oh, it's the last of her species, which probably not. Right. Case, I don't think so. I don't think they said anywhere that her species would die out and right. it didn't get there. But like, they're like, oh, it's the last of her life cycle. And then Baby Yoda starts fucking eating them. Like, well, so. Hey, they trick us they trick us with this right so they they start with they start with baby yoda and he's like fascinated by the eggs right and so he goes up to the Mm -hmm. tank and he's just like looking at like in awe and then he correct me if i'm wrong uses the force to make them like move closer to him and like move. i had the same thought it felt like it's cute it, it felt like they were going to go with the thing to where he's like oh, he feels a connection with them uh, right. through the living force. and Nah, he's just hungry. Yep. Uh, nope. he looked they at simplified the... it too much. <laughs> he looked at the Mastiff uh, in episode nine or chapter nine and was like, hmm, I've decided what I want to be when I grow up and what I want to be when I grow up is someone who eats everything. I, <sighs> I love I... the... <laughs> The bit where too where he turns around and looks at the cockpit. To make like sure he no one's knows seeing, yeah. exactly what he's doing. Exactly. It's not like, oh, baby Yoda just doesn't know because he's a baby. No, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he shouldn't right. be getting into it. But they just look so tasty. I mean, this is why I put it at baby Yoda murder count number one, because I he knew it was wrong and he did it anyway and he literally i love how they i don't know how they did this but they had him holding the egg and then he like slurps it up and sucks it in his mouth and i was like the puppetry of baby yoda in this episode is so good like because it's just funny like it's almost comedic like the whole entire episode everything he does and that was the controversy about this episode when it came out is people right. were like, why are you treating him exterminating this lady's children right. as, as a, a joke? joke? Right. That was the big controversy that blew up the internet when this episode came out. Because of course it's Star Wars fans. They have like a controversy every, every week. Of course. And this happened to be the one for that week is it's treated very comedically in the yeah. episode i did also like when when mando is like we're going to bed it turns out that baby yoda sleeps in a little hammock up above mando right they kind That's of sleep adorable in the same room like they have a little they sleep, sleep in the same room like, like he has yeah. a little little crib for uh I baby yoda. So he's becoming a good father as they're sleeping, the New Republic cops pull Mando over for speeding, and they crash on an ice planet to avoid the cops. This scene had big, like, Han Solo in the Death Star vibes for me. Oh, totally. Just the dryness of the delivery from, like, both Dave Floney and Mando. Like, it's, it was just well, so, it's, like... it's Paul, Paul Sunhyung Lee that he's actually doing most of the scene with. Oh, he was doing it? Oh, it's okay, Carson okay. Teva that he's doing most of the scene with. Dave gotcha. has a few voice lines. Dave has like one line. Oh, uh, okay. So scene. Dave was more in the end of the episode and then Paul is in the beginning. Well, it's Paul most of the time. Oh, okay. okay. Dave, well, Dave barely speaks and I think that's fair because Dave isn't really an actor and his line delivery 
isn't great, but it's nice to see Dave Filoni cameo. So it's mostly Paul Sun-Hyung Lee, uh, who is joining us. Uh, Was he in season? I don't think he was in season one. Um, Well, no, because it was just the directors in season one. It was just the directors. Okay. It was, yeah, the three directors. Um, But... It was interesting too because I just love the way he delivers the lines. Then because he like my favorite was he's like uh, Mando says something along the lines of like uh, this thing is not working and he's like we'll wait. <laughs> this is wonderful. We this got time. Is absolutely wonderful. Like I love this whole vibe and yeah, Paul Sun Hyung Lee, who's he's going to show up a few times in this season. Mm-hmm. Most famous for uh, Kim's Convenience, which was a show that also had Simu Liu in it, who just exploded onto the scene by being in Xiangqi. Uh, I have not yet seen it, but I have heard that it's very good and it made a lot of money. But the yeah. fun thing about Paul Sun Hyung Lee is that he's also a huge Star Wars nerd. Remember we talked about uh, last week, we talked about with Amy Sedaris, how it felt like she was just happy to be here. Right. This guy genuinely is like a huge Star Wars fan and has (laughs) done Star Wars cosplay in the past and like was a huge fan before being cast in this. So he clearly is having a lot of fun with his role here. Good. The other thing I want to bring up is I I want to bring up the ice planet that they're on. Did you do any research on which planet that actually was? Not a clue. That is a planet called Maldo Crease. And we have been to Maldo Crease before in episode one. Okay. It is the same planet that we opened the show at. Oh. Yeah. Like you're talking about like the pilot episode when Mando's on the ice planet. When Mando's on the ice planet getting the mythol. Wow. Yeah, it's the same planet. That's a terrible planet to be on. There's a lot of shit on that planet. A lot of fucking animals that are annoying. Oh yeah. Like, why are they all on? Like, wait, that's a terrible fucking planet to be yeah. on. Why would you have You've got giant the... walrus things? There's <laughs> why is there a settlement there? Who right. is settling here? Who is hanging out here? Interesting. Who's just well, chilling? At least now we know where the cops kind of hang out while they're waiting uh, to find Mando later on in the episode because they just went to the settlement. <laughs> they I just guess, went and, to the bar. Yeah, they went to the bar. They're like, and they're well, like, right, we'll find it later. We know where he is, but he's right. really annoying. So we can stop off and have a cup of calf or something right. and then go deal with him. It's like, the uh there was a movie that came out like i want to say 15 years ago or something called disturbia starred shia labeouf oh i vaguely remember this it 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 wasn't a very memorable movie it was like a shitty uh mid-2000s remake of an alfred hitchcock movie but at the end of it so the conceit of the movie is that he has an ankle bracelet on and he can't leave the house And he becomes convinced that his neighbor is a serial killer. And at the climax of the movie, spoilers for Disturbia, if you were going to fucking watch it, which... If you haven't watched it by now. (laughs) If you haven't watched it by now. But he he ends up deliberately breaking 
the uh, quarantine on the house and setting off the ankle bracelet to try to call the police to help. And the cop who's supposed to be monitoring him looks at the ping and is like outside a donut shop and looks at the ping and is like, meh. I'll 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 kind of mosey on over there, right? Nah, that's but I feel like it's the same vibe here that they yeah. they were like, well, we found him, and scans indicate that he's being chased by spiders. But you know, we also have time for a cup of caffeine and maybe to use the refresher right. before we head over there. Exactly. Oh my god. Um, the only other thing I have is two things. One is the gorgeous flying through the sky, Jesus uh, chasing Christ. him. I don't know if that Jesus. was the most beautiful aerial shots in Star Wars I've ever seen, but it was. <laughs> I absolutely love his trick for losing them. Yes. Where he like is flying through the clouds and he waits until they don't seem like he uses the clouds. The clouds right. are not just there to be beautiful. They are part of the scene that he uses them to like shut off the ship mid flight and drop it down below the clouds. Like that was awesome. That's I love so cool. that. And then I, of course, there's a little. I don't know if you'd call it a echo of A New Hope, but there was the little ice trench run where he goes through the ice trenches. So we've been getting better about seeing echoes since we watched uh, Bad Batch. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> we're like we're experts. Is on there now. <laughs> is there an echo in here? Yes. 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 There yes, is. I'm Echo. I'm Echo. <laughs> The whole thing, like, when the ship crashes and and is broken up and he's walking around through it, I've been playing a lot of a game called Subnautica Below Zero recently, which has that same vibe. I just love Arctic biomes in general. Yeah. I love the, the ice and the way that the, like, ice forms, these caves and things. So it was giving me really strong Subnautica Below Zero vibes. Uh, I did Google it. Frogs are cold-blooded, so it would make sense that she was having a bad time right after the ship crashed. After falling down into the ice cavern, Mando checks on the eggs and the damage to the ship. Everyone tries to stay warm, and the frog lady becomes a droid ventriloquist. (laughs) I did jump ahead of you slightly. Slightly, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, No, but you're right. I was curious because not only my first question was, why was she on Tatooine as a frog? So that's a desert planet, and frogs don't mix um because she's amphibious and then now she's on an ice planet and you just told me that she's cold-blooded so she makes bad life choices why is now she's on an ice planet she's going to fucking die um um, although i love how the second they crash baby yoda's like oh time for another snack (laughs) Well, time to genocide more. Yep, Baby Yoda murder count is at at least two, I said, because Mando goes, how many did you eat? It's hard to say. I'm sure someone with more time could check how many eggs were in it originally and, and like oh, yeah. try to figure out how many eggs Baby Yoda actually ate over the course of this episode. Well, this is the last time I have that he actually eats an egg so it's not the last time in the episode he'll actually eat an egg are you sure i'm 100 sure we'll get to it i did like how when mando's like let's go to sleep baby yoda like 
curls up on his chest. Oh, I know. So it kind of reminds me. Yeah, I was going to say it reminds me of how my cat sleeps sometimes. Kind of like curled up in the crook of the the arm. It, It was just adorable. But we also got the droid. So yes. Zero from season one, voiced mm-hmm. once again by Richard Ayoade. Mm-hmm. I hope I pronounced that right. I hope so, because uh, that's not how I was going to say it. <laughs> well, he's back to voice the droid. Gotcha. But now, I, have a, the same I, I have a question about that. So they made a point of being like, he saved the droid. Like, he saved the pieces of it. And then they now confirmed to us, because the frog lady says, I bypassed his security, whatever. I'm only using his voice box. Like, I'm not, there's not, he's not on, he's not working. I'm just using his voice to translate. And I thought about that. And I was like, so theoretically, because it hasn't happened yet, season three, possibly zero is coming back. Like possibly I'm excited uh, if he does come back. Cause I love, well, first of all, if he does, that just opens the door for hopefully another droid to come back. Um, who? Ah, uh, yes. I don't could. think that second droid is coming back. I, you never know. I think he's, of course, no one's ever really gone. Exactly. That's my philosophy is like, hey, we didn't see the body, even though we know that he explodes. Uh, we didn't see the body. So. We didn't see the body because there was no body, Bradley. Okay, well, whatever. Um, I do but wanna, I thought that was nice. I do want to shout out the work on Frog Lady's puppetry. Yeah. The, the way that her face moves when she's coming up with the plan to like use the droid is some truly impressive work yeah like it's it's just phenomenal like you could see the expressions going across her face it's just so good she says some interesting things uh once again we have the question of what exactly is in the mandalorian code okay i wrote this down because i was very confused about her saying that because i was like isn't the mandalorian code just like i i bring this up because i I'm thinking of like back to rebels and like Sabine and like stuff like that. And like fighting for the dark saber or whatever. And I'm like, isn't the Mandalorian code just settling disputes with like a fight or something? Like, I don't know if it has anything to do with taking care of people. (laughs) I really want to know what's in it. Just because it was mentioned last episode that the Mandalorian creed says that Boba Fett's armor belongs to the Mandalorians and then this episode, they're like, oh, the Mandalorian code is a thing that's brought up in the context of you need to honor your deals. I'm like, what is in this code? Right. Yeah. It's a little iffy on what, like, I feel like we're dealing with <laughs> like someone who's like, here's the real rules. Here's the official rules that we wrote down. And then somebody else is like, well, here's the rules that we translated 16 times in eight different alien languages. And now this is what it means. Yeah. It really is like, it feels like there's different versions of the Mandalorian Creed and Mandalorian Code flying yeah. around out there. What's interesting to me is she mentions the Mandalorians as subjects of children's stories, which I'm like, what? 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 Because yeah. everything we know about the Mandalorians, everything we know about them is like murder and conquest. Like right. they 
the way that most people in the galaxy would know the Mandalorians is by either through the Clone Wars, where their civil war caused huge problems, or the Mandalorian Wars, where they fought against the Jedi. So, like, what are children being told about the Mandalorians? Or is she just making that up to guilt Dan into doing I, his thing? I mean, it's possible. While Mando fixes the ship, Frog Lady gets out for a quick dip in the hot tub with her eggs, unknowingly surrounded by spider eggs who begin to hatch and attack the group. Here's here's the Baby Yoda thing. So here's why I love that Baby Yoda is a genocidal maniac in this episode. Yes. Baby Yoda was kind of the MacGuffin in episode or in season one. He was just kind of there and was cute. And that yes. was it. This episode shows him not necessarily as purely good, which is kind of the thing with babies, is that they are going to do things that are cute and adorable, but then they're also going to do things because their brains haven't developed properly that are like, what are you doing? Like, it's it's a very, like, toddler kind of one-year-old terrible twos kind of thing where... He's not old enough to know he shouldn't be eating. He's going purely on impulse control. And I do like that a lot. I also have noted that him eating the spider egg, like the puppet work on him deciding to eat the spider egg, pulling it apart, and then reaching in and eating the little baby spider is both incredibly gross and incredibly impressive. So are you counting this as uh, murder three? Because I didn't count this as murder three. I didn't count this as murder number three. He does some attempted murder earlier in the scene, but fortunately Din catches him. Okay, I was like, because he doesn't eat her eggs in the thing. I was just double checking. I thought He fucking he tries. Eats. He tries to, but then he's like, bad, baby Yoda, bad. <laughs> Which is kind of what you have to do with kids. I mean, I know. This is the reality of children, like particularly very, 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 very young children like this. They haven't developed their impulse control yet. Right. They don't know any better. So we we had Baby Yoda kind of in the way we approached Baby Yoda in season one was he was like someone else's kid that we're only seeing the cute parts of. And in season two we're seeing, no, he's more our kid where we're having to see all of it, not just the good parts. Right. Um, let's talk about the spiders, though. Uh, let's not talk about the spiders <laughs> ever. Uh, well, there's a lot to they don't. I literally have, I hate this, written in my notes. Uh, and then later on, I have a specific instance of the spider that's noted as wow i extra hate this <laughs> i'm not even well, afraid of spiders i just hate this i i did look it up um i don't know how to say their name though do you do you know how to say that knobby white ice spiders uh i wrote down crying so you're close Krykna? you're close i'm gonna be smug they're not the exact same type of spider the spiders you're thinking of are from the Mystery of Chopper Base episode of Star Wars Rebels. Correct. Which were inspired by the same piece of Ralph McQuarrie concept art that actually they directly lifted from to make the knobby white ice spiders. Oh, okay. 
So it's an instance, uh, like I theorized, that happened with the Pokemon sound, where two different things in Star Wars drew from the same source. Gotcha. That just kind of arrived at the same place or similar places. So the spiders and rebels are based on the design. This is just straight up the Ralph McQuarrie design. And I actually looked at the piece of artwork and they Uh literally just translated it over to live action. Uh, But yes, those are the knobby white ice spiders. And they are the worst fucking thing. Yeah, they're terrifying. In this show. (laughs) Well, we don't have to talk about them too much longer, but I just like, you know, I just thought it was worth mentioning that they were uh, in in spo. Um, but when yes. they're running from them is what's interesting too, because I, I do want to say real fast before we dive into the running into them that I love how Frog Lady like tongue like sticks her tongue out like zaps her clothes towards her and is dressed like two seconds later. I did love how she was like <laughs> up close get well okay it. this this actually leads into that because I really it's I'm, the running is really more about the Frog Lady. So yes, so she starts with that which is interesting that she does that with her tongue it's a choice um, and then we get this hilarious sequence of them running I, I wouldn't call it hilarious but they're running and she realizes oh no they're catching up to me and then proceeds to begin hopping instead of running and she goes way faster because she's reverting to her i guess regular movement <laughs> Maybe she's so used to like fitting in with, if you look at this coming off of the Imperial reign. So the Imperial reign was incredibly xenophobic. We talked about during our uh, latter half of the review of of, of Bad Batch, I think we talked about in the Ryloth, Ryloth episodes, just how xenophobic the empire was. And in the intervening time, I've read some of the books like Tarkin, where they talk about, just how racist the empire actually was uh, or just how speciesist it was against aliens all of them the way they would like classify the wookies as subhuman so that they could justify using them as slave labor things like that somebody living in that era even as far away as the outer rim may feel the pressure to confirm to f- conform to quote unquote human right styles of doing things so that may be at that point her natural inclination at this point is to run like a human mm-hmm. and then she she doesn't it's more effective than the fucking flamethrower Okay, so now I'm glad you transitioned because I knew you were oh gonna oh talk about oh this. we're gonna talk about the fucking flamethrower well, luckily, I, I actually, I forgot about this episode, right? So I forgot that in this part, he ignites the flamethrower, but then we don't see it. And then it, like, we see, like, the orange glow from the cave, and then they yes. run out. So I was like, uh, Charles got lucky this time because we don't have to see the flame, and it was successful, I guess. And then, it you know, we don't really know. I would argue it wasn't in this sequence because it didn't really do anything to slow them down. Like he okay. lights the th- he lights the thing, right. and the time he takes to light the thing, they could have been running. So no, I guess because in the sequence, I guess they're surrounded, and he has to blast his way out with it. So I guess I'm gonna tentatively say it's a, it's effective in this part. 
I'm going to give it right. to it this episode. He uses it creatively this time and the next time he's going to use it later on in the episode. Right. He does use it creatively. Right. Because when they're on the ship and then they're, it's, they're kind of like closing in on them, forcing them up into the cockpit, then he does technically use it properly to he does, seal off the door. The way that it really should be used is the sustained... Uh, the sustained close quarters use of it to force the things back, which is what he does use it for. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm kind of amazed it didn't burn like anything beyond it or the fact that he lights them on fire and it doesn't catch everything in the ship on fire as they're running around being on fire. Uh, But, you know, I'll give it to him. This was was a a use of the flamethrower that was not terrible. I... I loved when he like grabbed the spider that was about to jump into the ship and like crushed it with his bare hands. Right. That was fun. Uh, And I also loved um, frog lady saving baby Yoda. Yeah. It was the consequences of his own actions. It was kind of weird because it was like she saved him, but he murdered at least three of her children, unborn children. So it was kind of like a fun like dynamic because it was kind of like a she doesn't necessarily know that he did that at this point or we we don't know. They if never she knows. bring it up. They never right. really bring it up, which I thought it could. Yeah, I thought it could have made that moment land a little better if she had brought it up at some point. Like maybe that mm. could have been the through line of the episode that Mando takes on this passenger, right? And the kid is eating the eggs and the passenger is pissed at the kid. And yeah, that would Mando have been way more effective. That it like it also could have, you know, deepened the relationship between Grogu and Den because when you're looking at the theme overall of parenting, how do you discipline a child that has done something bad like this? Right. So that could have been, and then having her at the end pull out the gun and save uh, Baby Yoda might have helped this a bit. Yeah. I don't know. That's if I were if I were rewriting the episode, that would be what I would do with it. Is I, is I would make the conflict between I would make I would put Din at the center of the conflict between Frog Lady and uh, the the Baby Yoda. Just as Mando is about to escape, a giant spider attacks. <laughs> until the cops show up and save the day anyway. But they leave him stranded to fix the ship. So I have noted here that I extra, extra hate this. The giant, <laughs> giant spider? Dan the giant spider with its fucking teeth. Yeah. Ugh. I did note that it was interesting where they're in the cockpit and the spiders are clamoring over it right before the yeah. giant spider drops down that they actually have them make little marks in the condensation. Like the mm. ice that's kind of formed on the glass, you can see where their little legs have scraped wow. it away. Like that's the a, level of detailing it. I also love that I also love that he blasts them off of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, I mean, I don't know how I guess they just really good shots. Like, you know, you just gotta <laughs> Now, Bradley, did you did you notice kind of the reference with the giant spider? Uh, it was not just a giant spider. 
specifically the sequence where the spider is looking in at them. So there's a bit where his head kind of comes down and its eye is looking looking into the thing. Did you did you catch what that was probably a reference to? Um the Minox sucking on the outside of the ship of the new hope. I'm just kidding. So it wasn't what I was going for, but that is an interesting parallel because I think they have the horrible teeth mouths too. No, I was thinking of a uh, movie that was produced by Kathleen Kennedy uh, co-stars Laura Dern and uh, was scored by John Williams. Yes, Uh, I see the Jurassic Park reference now. Uh, Yep, yep. Okay. I have had it on the brain because about three months ago, I actually watched that movie for the first time ever. So now I understand. Yeah, I had never sat down and watched it all the way through beginning to end. That's so funny that you say that because either have I and I literally watched it. I watched all three movies two weeks ago. Yeah, I've it never was seen about the sequels. It was I've about two them. or three months ago. We we sat down. There was a group of us, and I mentioned I had never seen it. Yeah, and so we sat down and we watched the whole thing all the way through. It was, but yeah, this was kind of a reference to that, where it kind of it. looks in with the eye. Uh, with the pilots. The only real note I have for this scene is uh, I recognize the music and I only recognize the music because of a YouTuber who does music, who does epic covers of things. His name is Samuel Kim. And he did a mix based on the music that plays as they fly away in this scene. Okay. Did you catch what the theme was that this was a like a remix of? No. It's like an electronic version of the resistance theme. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, you know. The but it's an interesting choice that they went with for the New Republic to do like this slowed down synth kind of version of the resistance theme. Right. Huh. That was that was something cool that I noticed in this sequence also Um, please check out samuel kim music it's very good (laughs) um the only thing i had for the rest of the scene was um what their reasoning was for not arresting mando like i was very confused because (sighs) okay so they said the the reason why you're wanted like the reason why we want to arrest you is because you broke out a prisoner which he did the male twi'lek Yes. Right. They broke out the prisoner in the prisoner episode. But he also captured, I guess, three bounties in his time during bounty hunting of three very dangerous people. Okay. Let me helpfully explain to you what's going on in this sequence. Okay. So what 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 happened in this sequence it has been a while since we watched episode right. six of season one where this occurred do you remember how at the end of it he locks uh and natalia tenet twi'lek and that uh, devil guy so the 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 implication here is that they watch the security recordings Ah, from the ship 
Gotcha. And they saw him stand up for um, Matt Lanter's character, Lieutenant Davin. Right. And also that he locked those guys in the cell at the end of the episode. So that's why they let him go. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I was so confused because I was like, when did he capture three prisoners or whatever? I was like, oh, and honestly, that makes the next episode, or not the next episode, the future episode that we see one of these characters return in, in prison, make so much more sense now. Yes, that's okay. that's what happened. It's like literally the last shot of the episode. We find right. out that he's actually imprisoned all of them. Gotcha. Now he just straight up murders both uh, the male tree-like prisoner and uh, the guy that sent him on the job. Right. Well, actually, the Republic did that. Yes. Well, he also put the transponder <laughs> on there. That's true. But it was interesting, too, because like when... Well, I guess they wouldn't have known that they blew up that guy, but they just kind They don't of seem to have known that they yeah. that he was the one that put the transponder on there to blow up the guy. Right. Okay, well, I, I like how they're like, well, you committed a crime, but you also kind of helped us out, so we're gonna kind of not arrest you. We're not gonna help you fix your ship or anything, but, like, we're not gonna also arrest you, so, like, we'll let you go with a warning this time. <laughs> I really... And I, I really, I've been saying this ever since uh, Gina Carano got axed from yeah. any future shows. They just got to make Rangers of the New Republic about this guy. I think it just this needs to be great. like, I think, I, I honestly, I know this is never going to happen, but like, can you imagine if they made the Rangers of the New Republic, but it was like Reno 911 and it was just like ridiculous, like goofy cops trying to like, <laughs> do this stuff in the galaxy being serious and like other criminals don't take them seriously and like it's like the worst know. the worst cops of the yes that would, I don't know what, that'd be so funny i would just see so that. ineffective yes that'd be hilarious like, lucasfilm you can hire me I, right. I live i live in los angeles uh you can hire me to to write this show oh it's God. not the one i would have pitched but you know <laughs> but you gotta get your foot in the door I, I'll, I'll take the money anyway. Right. <laughs> no, it would be super funny to see that. Like, right. I just love him. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him in, in future things as well. The Carson Teva character. We do have Trapper Wolf. Uh, and we do get a good look at Trapper Wolf's helmet. It's got wolves on it. Because uh, Dave Filoni likes wolves. Clever. Uh, Dave Filoni does what he wants. At least he didn't paint himself blue. I'm, so. I'm assuming Trapper Wolf is also from Lethal, which I know that that's probably not said yet, but I'm sure that's canon. No, we don't mind. know. We don't know anything about Trapper Wolf. I think other than he kind of exists. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page now, and he it doesn't say where he's from or anything okay, well, about him. I'm assuming he is, just because I know that at some point Dave Floney is going to be like. I have to make sure everybody knows where he's from. And then also he happens to always have a loaf cat in his X-Wing with him or something. Like, you know what I mean? Something silly. Like he has like a companion with him or some bullshit. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, it doesn't say anything about it. It's, it's mainly just a cameo role. Cool. All right. It doesn't. And then my final note. So this was the seat. This is the number three that you missed. Uh, The very last shot of the episode, baby Yoda, like, (laughs) 
it it reveals that he's hidden an egg and he eats it as soon as Mando goes to sleep. Uh, okay. See, I didn't see that because uh, right as the ship was about to like take off or something, I just cut the episode off because I just I had already fast forwarded to the credits so I could see who the guest stars were. So I just assumed that was just them taking off and that was it. So nope, I guess he I eats the little it. thing. That's the joke that they end the episode on, and I feel like that's <clears> okay. also like. A bad of why people left this with such a bad taste because yeah. baby yoda learned nothing and yeah. uh continued to eat the eggs uh you know that left people with kind of a sour taste in their mouth regarding the episode so i, I personally thought it was you know on it was it's on brand he's a kid what's he gonna learn over right. the course of this episode but I agree with you that Mando should have learned the parenting lesson in this episode. Like that would have been like the thing that made this episode, not just a detour episode. I mean, I guess technically this is part one of next week's episode, technically, because it kind of leads into a little bit in the beginning of the next episode is carried on. So they sort of connect the first three connect to each other, yeah really tightly that you really can watch the first three episodes kind of as their own trilogy which is interesting because they go to a desert planet ice planet and water planet <laughs> one after the other <laughs> you're right so Bradley, did you have any additional thoughts on this episode um no it was a it was a i'm putting it as uh after the first episode we watched and now the second episode we've watched uh this is my second favorite episode <laughs> so far this is number two for me <laughs> this is number well. two on the list so uh we might have to we should we should keep ranking them as we go though i feel like that's it's you want to keep be... you want to keep ranking them yeah We're because end with a season two ranking list right because as we will rank them as we go and then that way like it's well, that way we're keeping them fresh in our minds as we go, but then they're only being compared as we like, you know, are watching them, not as like a after. All right, let's do it. We'll rank. Uh, we'll we'll rank season two episodes as we go go along. I don't have any other notes for this one. It was it was kind of a detour. Uh, I wouldn't call it filler. Stuff happened in it, but it's a pretty like I don't want to say forgettable, but it's a pretty kind of meh episode as far as it really is just like eating potato chips it's it's there and it's satisfying but you're not going to remember it an hour later well eating eggs yes you could (laughs) eat eggs instead right all right oh boy thank you for listening to gold squadron gaze did we forget something email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze, and you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. That was just a thought that I had. Was <laughs> name I name is that's my best frog lady impression. That's a pretty good frog lady.